Dr. Jolene Brighton is a pioneer in women's medicine and an award-winning certified naturopathic endocrinologist and certified sex counselor. She's the author of Beyond the Pill and Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth. She just launched her new book, Is This Normal?, to help us understand our body and identify hormone imbalances that we can treat naturally. She's a fierce patient advocate, empowering women worldwide to take control of their hormonal health. Doctor said you got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian and helped my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna put them on and take control of yourself. Join a sister and a Thank you so much for joining us for our listeners. This is actually take two of this no episode. <laughs> just because um, for everyone, just I want to give full transparency. We had Dr. Jolene Brighton on the on the podcast a few months ago. And unfortunately, CDOC over here lost the episode as the podcast editor. But this one is being recorded on three different devices right now to make sure that doesn't happen. Oh, really? No, but I'm just <laughs> making sure it doesn't happen. Awesome. Anyway, let's, let's start talking about your, your new book, Is This Normal? We really want to know what motivated you to start writing this book. Yeah, this is definitely the book that was written by my readers, my social media followers, my patients. They guided the entire conversation in this book. And as you get into it, there is section after section of Ask Dr. Brighton, which are the top questions that I've been asked that I can't candidly answer on social media or any kind of website. They would be like, I don't know about this. She's talking about squirting. She's talking about butt lightning. She's talking about, you know, we do talk about period poops on there, but we just have to be really mindful. You know how it is on social media. I I swear, like any time I'm like, I'm a doctor and I said vagina and they're like, you're bad. We got to shadow ban you. Also shadow banning is not real. So we're going to gaslight you about what's actually yeah. happening. And I'm like, no, but she, like, why, why can't we just talk about these things? And mm-hmm. I, I get why it's like social media has got to like, keep it safe. But it's like, I, I mean, I do have credentials. Can we just let me educate? So this book was really that much deeper conversation that needed to happen and the protocols that I can bring in. It is so hard when you have a character limit or, you know, you're like, you're even writing a blog post and get the nuance, the full conversation and give the full story. Plus the book also has tons of visual graphics. Um, if you caught the, is it PCOS or FHA graphic, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, That was born out of how many times I've seen patients whose doctors were like, oh, you just have functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. And it's like, nope, you have PCOS. Before we move on, can you clarify the difference between PCOS and functional hypothalamic amenorrhea? Because I don't think we've ever covered that. And I think that happens to a lot of people. It's misdiagnosed. Oh, yes. So with functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, like PCOS, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. And the most common reason women experience this is from a caloric deficit in the face of energy expenditure, and they don't match. So, right, this is the eat right and exercise mantra. Like if you want to lose weight, just go into caloric deficit and train more. And that's maybe fantastic advice for someone who isn't cycling, like a man or a postmenopausal woman, but if you are cycling, that is sabotaging your hormones. So functional hypothalamic amenorrhea 
very common to see in athletes, their period stops. Mm -hmm. PCOS, very common to see the period stops. And where doctors get it wrong a lot of the times and things get confused is that there is this old way of thinking about PCOS where it's, if you have PCOS, you must be obese. Like you have to be overweight. Like you're struggling with, um, you know, central adiposity, visceral adiposity. So you have body fat in the belly. Like you, you know, you have to look a certain way And you may very well have PCOS and be lean and be athletic and have the body type that looks more like someone who might have functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. So having that lower body fat percentage. And so the causes are very different. One is you are overstressing your body. And the other is that we've got inflammation, insulin dysregulation, gut dysbiosis, like this. And and why am I listing so much stuff? Because we don't know exactly what causes PCOS, but we know there's this association with all of these hormonal factors, these metabolic factors, and what's happening in the gut as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of women with PCOS struggle with getting their periods regulated and- Mm -hmm then they're like, is this normal? Or I'm an athlete, it's okay. Or maybe I have PCOS, but it's fine. I'm not overweight. And this really ties into your book. I can see how somebody would ask themselves this. Your book is split into three parts. And the first part is your sexual self. The second part is your cyclical self. And the third part is your 28-day program to bring your hormones back into balance. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about why you created these three Mm -hmm. parts for your book. Uh, what conversation are we not having about women's bodies? It falls into like the cyclical aspect, but the sexual aspect's a big one. And in fact, when I set out to write this book, I was like, okay, here's everything we don't know about our bodies. And then I'm going to have a chapter about sex. Like I just laughed like that. I thought I could have a chapter about sex. And I went through all of the questions so I've been doing Ask Dr. Brayton on Instagram since like 2018. So I started going through archives and looking at all of these questions and then going through like what do readers of drbrighton.com write in and realizing like this is no different than what I'm actually getting. There is like rarely a consult with a patient where sex is not a question. And I'm like, wait a minute, there is this theme that is being missed and it was just it felt really silly to me because I was pursuing my sexual counselor certification. And so I'm like, why, why were you missing that? Um, that like big theme that was happening in everybody's lives. And when I, what I actually did is I went and I wrote out all of the topics of the book on, so this is part of my writing process. I write them on three by five cards. Like what are the, what's the big process and I like, or the big topics. And I threw them all on the ground. And I remember just standing above them, walking around. This is like in my workout area where I'm doing this and walking around and looking at them and just being like, we're putting sex for like, it is your sexual self first. It is such a big topic. And I think this is what people want to know. And when you understand the foundations of things like vulva versus vagina versus clitoris, like understand those anatomical features and how your hormones play into that, how your hormones play into your ability to orgasm and your orgasms play into your ability to optimize your hormones. Then the cyclical stuff makes a lot more sense why you're experiencing things cyclically and it makes it a lot more interesting. But it really, I wanted to tie together these differences because people always love to be like, oh, women, men and women are not that different. And I'm like, we are so vast, like testes and ovaries, same, same tissues, right? But doing very different things in the body. And they, 
because of that, we, we operate and we function in different ways. So I really wanted to give that full picture of what the sex ed teacher didn't say and what you should have been told and all of the information you really needed to receive. And, you know, it's just interesting as we're talking about PCOS and we're talking about women that you said are like, oh, it's fine. Like I'm an athlete. I lost my period. Like no big deal. And there have been early readers of the book like yourself who have been like, whoa, ovulation matters when it comes to sexual health. Like ovulation, like, so anovulatory states of being, which is, you know, what we talk about functional hypothalamic amenorrhea or PCOS, when you don't have a period, it's because you're not ovulating. That is associated with lower sexual satisfaction. Sexual dysfunction even is what the research will call it. I don't like dysfunction as much as like adaptation. Like these things are sexual adaptations to what's happening in the environment. But when you sit back and think like the way we have been taught about our cycle is always about the period, very rarely ovulation unless you want to get pregnant and how everybody's like ovulation is no big deal. But wait a minute. It actually is. We were just having this uh, story series last week on our Instagram channel too, where we talked about, we were, we were talking about inositol and the benefits of inositol. And we were getting questions like, oh, but why would I want to ovulate? Why would I want to be fertile? Yeah. Or, gosh, or, even, yes. yeah, or even like, why would I want to get my period back? I don't want my period. And this of course goes back to improper education that was given to a lot of women with PCOS or women in general. They're not yeah. told the, the importance of getting their period, the importance of ovulating, not just for getting pregnant, but for your entire body's health. So mm -hmm. um, that's something we're, we're so glad you're spreading with this book and with your with your entire, all your social media channels. Well, I'm so glad that you're talking about it. I think we need so many people talking about it because, you know, but in part, this is born out of the concept that, you know, ovulation is the biggest threat to us advancing our career. Ovulation is the biggest threat to us, like, achieving our goals because an unintended pregnancy, listen, as a mama too, I will tell you how disruptive these small humans are. They're very disruptive. Like, I shared actually on my Instagram yesterday of, like, behind the scenes, like, I'm the, the book is coming out soon and all I can do is like roll out of bed. I am a mess right now. I don't look like a mess because I was going to come see you guys. So I was like, get your makeup on, look like a human again. But I'm like still in my pajamas at like two o'clock in the afternoon because my god, I got in these, like I got a mom and then I got to do this like book stuff and like that's it. So I definitely get that. And it's, it's also this concept of like how birth control has been marketed by the pharmaceutical industry and how... I mean, that's a whole nother topic, right? And how that ended up into medicine. And so the, 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 you know, central theme of it is like ovulation is optional. And I love that. I love that for us having the option of whether or not to ovulate and whether or not to uh, get pregnant. That's great. But we do have to talk about the nuance of how important ovulation is, how important these cyclical hormones are. And when you stand back and you think about what is happening around ovulation, I found this really interesting study while I was writing the book. And it said the like women have about a five, six day sexual phase of their cycle. We usually call it the sexual phase. I had I didn't have to read anymore. Like I was into the abstract and I oh, that's all it said. And I was like, they're talking about ovulation. Like that is ovulation. I know this. And as I get into it, it's exactly what they are talking about. But I do love the concept of saying sexual phase rather than ovulatory phase, because if you're past wanting to have children, you never wanted to have children, or you're just, you're in that phase of life, like you, where you've had loss and you're like, I don't want to be reduced to reproductive capacity right now. We can talk about your sexual health in terms of those hormones and in a different way, but to recognize like, 
it is so profound what's happening around ovulation. And it is like one of the most highly orgasmic times of your cycle, yet we act like it's optional. And then we were like, what were people acting like pleasure and orgasms are optional in women? Well, we just kind of act like so much is optional for us. In fact, there's a lot of like uh, fear around the time where you're ovulating to be like, okay, be extra careful during this time so that you don't get pregnant or X, Y, Z. And it it almost deters you from wanting to, Mm -hmm. you know, do anything. Yeah. Okay. So it took a lot of research for people to even recognize that. So I just want to say applause to you. Like, like really, truly, because when I explain this of, um, so there is a model called the dual control model that two researchers uh, came up with, and this was Bancroft and Jansen, and they came up with this dual control model, which their analogy is to call it the gas pedal and the brake pedal. And these are basically sexually exciting things. And then things that are, inhibitors. And when we talk about inhibitors, there's like the relationship factors, there's the life stress factors. And then there's also the things that has to do with you. So your body image, this comes up a lot, especially with women who have PCOS and don't fit the, whatever the stereotypical archetype is. Like I'm of the age now where I went through the Kate Moss period where I was expected to be a size double zero. Um, and I could never, because that's just not my body type. And then, you know, then I saw like the, the rise of the Kardashian booty and like <laughs> all of that. And I, as a Latina, I'm like, okay, like, okay, like that, that's a little bit more me, but like waist training, not so much like and what i'm saying here is that um who really freaking cares about all of that like what's in yet society really comes in and messes with your mojo because body image issues can be one of those factors and then there is the i don't want to get pregnant and as i say all of this it's important for people to understand this is not a woman only experience I've had a lot of comments from men who are like, well, like men experience this too. And like, I, you're not talking about that. I'm like the two researchers who discovered this and wrote about it, won prizes for it were men. They first started to explain men's behavior with this model. And then as it turns out, we've got other researchers who came in and said, it's so, it's so much more complex for women. It certainly is. But this threat of an unwanted pregnancy or an unintended pregnancy that affects everybody. And that is a huge break. If you, cause you can be, you can be in the mood, your tissues can be aroused. Everything is responding. Like maybe you're about to orgasm. And that one little thought comes in of like, oh my God, wait, like, could I be ovulating? And, or could she be ovulating? And boom, that's it. Every, all systems shut down. You're no longer having vaginal lubrication. You're no longer having engorgement. That's clitoris or penis. So now we're talking about erectile issues. Like all of this can happen. And yet this is another area that we don't talk about, right? We just don't talk about the fact that like, it's like, there's a lot going on that impacts our sexual well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to ask you, like, what do PCOS women typically say um, or ask, is this normal about when it comes to their sexual self? What do you hear the most? Well, sometimes because testosterone and estrogen are completely unchallenged by progesterone and up, they find that they actually have like more, they're like, I have this longer sexual phase. Like it's not just happening just around ovulation. Like it feels like it's a little bit longer. Um, and is that normal? And that is because progesterone 
is going to basically diminish your, your, your ability to process the stimuli in the same way. So you get the sexual signals from the environment. Yes, it can be from your partner, but it can be your own thoughts that you're running. Testosterone loves to make women's brains along with its like, you know, ally estrogen fantasize more, but you can be getting sexual stimuli. You might be scrolling through, uh, there's the, the TikTok, the lumberjack man. I had someone send me that and they were like, have you guys seen the lumberjack? Man? I, I've seen it. I don't think Tina's seen it. <laughs> no, just splitting wood. Just the guy um, cutting wood. Why yeah. did you see it? This comes up randomly. I'm like, oh, this guy's impressive. I want to keep watching. I, you do want to like, I <laughs> say that I watched, I'm like, feel like, man, like, um, society would tell me something's wrong with me because there's people sending this to me being like, I see this and like things like I am like lubricated, like things are changing in my body. Like, is that normal? Like this is happening. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I watched that. And I just was like, how many times does he have to hit that to split that wood? And like, oh, I wonder where it's going to split. And then I was like, oh my God, I feel so dysfunctional right now. And I'm like, <laughs> but that would be buying into society's narrative that everything, you know, the same thing should do it for all of us and all the same ways. And, you know, instead you might just be, you know, having it be in your luteal phase and progesterone's rising and that same stimuli doesn't do it for you. Like it was in your ovulatory phase. Now, if you have PCOS, you may have this longer follicular phase and it's taking you longer to get to ovulation. And so you're getting more estrogen and testosterone stimulation. Testosterone is like wicked awful in preventing uh, ovulation and causing hair loss. Like we hate this. We hate the acne. We hate these things. And yet when you can get it to the right amount, like it is lovely. It is a wonderful hormone. It's going to give you muscle mass, which is an endocrine produce, you know, organ itself, hormone producing organ that's going to help with optimizing your hormones. It's going to in, influence your, uh, your, excuse me, not your estrogen, your insulin is what I'm saying there to be more sensitive. So testosterone is not all bad. Hormones aren't all bad, but that is something that I find very interesting with PCOS too. So when we start talking about like, you don't have a 28 day cycle, but maybe you have a 33 day cycle one, that's normal, especially yeah. if it's happening, you know, that's consistent every single month. Maybe it's like 32, 34, totally normal. And you're experiencing this longer phase where you're like, yeah, I just noticed things are up a little more in the phase. And that's just Hormonally speaking, there's so much more to the conversation, which I cover throughout the book. Mm -hmm. But that is one of those things that I feel like so often when we talk about PCOS, it's always like, here's the bad stuff and what to do about yeah. it. And it's like, but there, but there are these benefits too that can come around. Yeah. I also hear of women saying I have such a low libido. And it's of course it's related to hormones and the fact that sometimes they are just like flat and not working properly in our cycle. Mm -hmm. And also, like you said, like body image issues and all of the side effects of having high testosterone and PCOS that kind of just turn you off and make you feel like not yourself, you know? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. And when you consider that PCOS, if you have the inflammatory component going, which a lot, a lot of people with PCOS are inflamed, that inflammation left unchecked, it's going to take your testosterone into estrogen. So with that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about like, oh, there's the benefits of testosterone, right? And, um, and then we're talking about high testosterone, but if we start pushing things also, so we get into a higher estrogen state, we never get that progesterone to oppose it. That can leave us bloated and cranky and feeling irritable, just not feeling good in our body overall. And there has been small, there have been small studies. We need to repeat these and really 
understand the impact, but showing that when estrogen is up, we're more critical of our partners. And that's just something that's really interesting to observe. Like if your estrogen is going up, 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 and it's being left unchecked and you don't have that progesterone coming in being like, no, you love these people. You want to be chill. You want to be calm, like stress, no big deal. Uh, that can definitely have an impact on your desire overall. And, you know, there's, I talk about in the book, like the reframe that we, we know about in the research, but we don't talk about regularly in public. Like whenever we're talking about libido, people, like everybody wants to know about their hormones. Like I literally go into like, I'm sure it happens to you, but like I tell this story in the book about this baby shower I went to and uh, my friend doesn't have the book yet, but she's going to know it's her when she does. Um, I go into the baby shower and I had like caught off guard where she's like, I'm the only one who like can't have Netflix and chill. And I'm like, what's Netflix? And like, what, where do we like the way she's talking about it? I don't understand what's going on. And she's like, you know, Netflix and chill as a mom. It's when you put your kids in front of Netflix, Netflix, so you can like go get down with your partner. And I was like, it's not that. That's not who Netflix and chill. Like when people are saying like, oh, you want to Netflix and chill? It's like, oh, you want to come over and hook up? It's just what it means. But like, apparently moms have adapted. Like go moms. Um, and yeah, if that works, that would like, I'm just like TMI here, but like that would never work for my children. They would be like, oh. well, one of them's like almost two. So he would just be like, mom, Elmo, you got to watch Elmo with me or something. Miss Rachel's on. And like, Miss Rachel's not putting me in the mood. Okay. That's not for me. <laughs> we love Miss Rachel. I just don't love Miss Rachel in that way. But, um, you know, I'm telling this story because uh, for her, the anxiety of somebody walking in, the potential her kid could walk in, which is like totally squash her desire. She could not get aroused. And she was like, everybody else can, like, I must not be normal. And I'm like, you're absolutely normal. Like that is a more sensitive set of breaks to be the, the there because there are people who are like, no, actually the idea of somebody walking in on me, not their children is, is not like a children thing. It's like, oh, someone might see us. We might get caught. Like that's exciting to me. But for other people, it's not, it's like, this is very, I cannot, like, I'm so like turned off by this situation. And it's not that anything is wrong with them. It's just that's an environmental cue that tells their body absolutely not. So, you know, whenever we're talking about libido, in that conversation, she right away was like, it has to be my hormones. This is always what comes up. Like anytime, like I go to like a business networking thing and I talk about what I do. And then on the side, people are like, I really, I want to like tell you about this. Like, is this normal? Like, or I, you know, I had this kind of orgasm. Is this normal? Like, this is like the, the theme of my life <laughs> just overall. Um, and so, you know, with that, for everybody listening, I definitely encourage you to get the book and, and go through the libido trap because what you've likely have thought is not normal is completely your normal and there's nothing wrong with you. You just have to reframe and look at it from the, from the perspective of like, what's best for me, not what has like, what have the movies told me, what have like my experiences with partners told me, like, what is it that my friends' lives are like, right? Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking right now, I was like, right, right now we're staying at Tyne's parents' house until we find a house to buy. Maybe this, uh, maybe we can. Yeah, you're in it now. <laughs> maybe we can. Maybe we can put them in front of Netflix, and we. She's like, them. don't talk about my parents. No, <laughs> we're not. I cannot. No, they don't bother us. <laughs> but still, like that. So that um, that is like actually brings up a great point because for some people, 
going back to their childhood home and the threat that like, oh, you know, I could have got caught. And this is like being a teenager again, because you're like back in that environment is so enthralling and so exciting. And it can like lend itself to role play. But then other people are like, this is weird. Or maybe they walked in on their parents one time. And that's like all they can think about when they're in the house. And like both experiences can be happening at the same time. And both can be completely normal. And they have to be talked about because otherwise, like what we do as humans, it was, we're like, we're, we're very self-centered and we're like, oh, they're, their lack of interest must be about me or like the fact that they're like so into this is like weird because I'm not and like I can't relate to that <laughs> yeah yeah Talia never talks as openly about this kinds of stuff on the podcast or like yeah. IG or anything but hearing you talk about ass. it maybe Talia will open you up a little bit more to talk, be more free about you know what I brought in a professional and Dr. Jolene Brighton can answer everyone's <laughs> okay I'm a dietitian <laughs> But I, well, I do talk about a sex diet in the book. <laughs> so oh my gosh, what is it? Oh. Tell us. This is like where it gets really sexy. It's like optimizes your blood sugar because spoiler, insulin resistance is bad for your clitoris. Uh, very bad. It can decrease sensitivity and it does things to optimize your hormones. But I also give other tips in there of things and 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 but like, you know, answer the myths. Like, is it myth or is it the, is the legend true? And uh, things like, you know, can eating oysters really be an aphrodisiac? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great source of zinc. Plus, like if you think about how mindful and present you have to be with oysters and like the setting you're usually in you're not it's very rare that you're just like hey it's like friday night let's just like go swing by and pick up some oysters and like crack it in front of the tv like that's not it's usually like a thing right and so there's that whole experience i talk about things like cit- uh, citrulline that's found in watermelon rinds so eating pickled watermelon rinds or you know that i just feel like there's just like so many creative people on the internet that i just like uh, tiktok is like one of the best things to happen in terms of my creativity and like what we can do what with watermelon rhymes because when I recommended that in the book, I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to like come up with a recipe for this. And then I started like searching and I was like, literally there's so many recipes. Oh, yeah. It's done. Check the box. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, saffron is another one. You want to know why this spice is so expensive? <laughs> My goodness. Not only can it help with menstrual cramps, it can help with your PMS, but it can help with your sexual desire, your sexual function, your sexual satisfaction. And in people who are on SSRIs, which serotonin can shut down your ability to get aroused, but also it can delay time to orgasm, which is super frustrating for some people. Like, and it's when people will get in their head and be like, what's wrong with me? Why is it taking 40 minutes? Because serotonin is messing with you. And that is like, you know, rather than jumping off the medication, you can have a conversation with your doctor about alternatives or about trying saffron. Saffron has been shown to help you overcome that. But yeah, all this time, I'm like, why is this like little, like little red stringy things in a tiny little jar? You know, you come across and you're like, this is so expensive. And I'm like, because it literally has like the secret power to unlock like the loins and like (laughs) your period problems. No way. I've also seen how saffron is extracted and it's a really, really tough process. Yeah. I'm sure that too, like that plus how much people need it makes it very expensive. You no, know I'm sure it's the processing part, yeah. but I just, I think, I just think it's more interesting to frame it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think saffron itself is enough or should you take a supplement? Just like, you know, turmeric is good, but the curcumin supplement is better, you know? Yeah. So you don't find a lot of supplements out there with saffron and what you, the dishes that you do find saffron in, I think that there is a, so it's like turmeric, right? People are like, 
oh, take turmeric, but we know we need black pepper and we need fats to enhance the absorption. And that is the way, like it has been traditionally done in Ayurvedic medicine. And if you look at saffron, it is being included in dishes that have anti-inflammatories, things that have spices that increase blood flow and perfusion. So when you look at it, like from those dishes, you're like, this is very synergistic. You can absolutely take a supplement form of it. But, you know, much like you, I always like to like encourage food first and especially in the traditional sense of how it's been used because I think that there's definitely wisdom in what gets called like ethnic food or not because we're like in the United States. Like the, the number of times I preach that Mexican food is a health food, people are like, no, it's not. Have you seen Taco Bell? And I'm like, I just can't even look at you right now that you just called Taco Bell Mexican food. So uh, for people who don't know, my grandmother's from Mexico. She owned a Mexican food restaurant. And when I was growing up, like that's where I was. But like when I talk to people about the fact that like, yeah, so like the vinegar based, like pickled foods and getting those in before like you actually eat the meal. Like, wow, who knew? It's so good for your blood sugar. It's so good for digestion, like all of these things. But so it's just to say, like, when you look at how these foods were traditionally prepared, like, there's a lot of benefit going on. And I think we're not even there in the research yet. Like, research doesn't typically go, what happens when we combine all these things? And what's the synergistic effect? They're like, the one thing does one thing. Um, and that's usually because it's like, can we make a drug from that? So that's the, that's the way that things go. And we miss out on the fact that there's so much interaction going on, like, from our palate, from the you know, phytochemicals that are available, the nutrients, the microbiome, like it is way more complex than we have the capacity to understand now. Absolutely. Our ancestors knew what they were doing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know with Mediterranean food, we have pickles as one of like the appetizers, like the meze. Yeah. That you start, you know, you don't just like heap into the bread rolls and then order a big meal like you yeah. would yeah. at yeah. a fast food place. Yeah. Yeah. I will. And then you see people like that do like there, you know, there's cultures that do like tapas and they're doing small meals and little bits of mm -hmm. things like there. When you start to look at how people eat around the world, you really are like, it, like you really come into tune with how not normal the standard way of eating in the United States is. Um, and that yeah. is like, that is one thing I will say. So people are like, where are you getting that from? I, I am a nutrition scientist. And I will say that the standard American diet is not normal from an ancestor perspective and just from from a digestive and health perspective i hate that we're always like america's always you know touted as like the worst diet it's true we are but it's all it's so frustrating because we're such a we're a country that leads you know science in so many ways research and we we have so many great doctors we have so many um, holistic doctors naturopathic doctors etc but our diet is just so corrupted by you know politics marketing all these things and it just everything that everybody's working on would be so much more efficient if our diet was there is better education about our diet, starting from like school, starting from Absolutely, the FDA, yeah. everybody. I was okay. just going to say that like you hit the nail on the head. That's like really the a big problem in the U.S. school system. It's like all this stuff that's in my book, like someone should have taught you already. Uh, it, it should be there. It should be part of basic biology, your curriculum. Mm -hmm. Like these are things we should be learning. They're being taught in other countries and having amazing outcomes. And when it's the same thing with nutrition, like, so I homeschool and I have times where I'm just like, 
man, like I'm not like spending all this time on like the traditional things. And I think about how like, you know, those traditional things, like they never mattered. They just never mattered in my life as a whole. Like we talk about like to be a doctor, like I had to take a year of physics. Um, There are sometimes some cool things that like I could pull out of my hat about fit, but like I've never used it. Like um, it just isn't something that has served me. And when you talk about like, elementary school. It's so funny because in homeschooling my son, people are like, oh, so you teaching him like the, you're a writer, you write books, you teaching him very traditional way to learn to write. I'm like, absolutely not. I don't even know anything about that. Like I don't even, like, can't wrap my head around it. And honestly, like I was like in AP English and everything because I was just so good at writing and, and articulating thoughts. And that's, I teach him from a different perspective of like, what is the point of writing? If not to communicate, it's not to be super formulaic. It's not to be, you know, all of these things. And so just to go back to your point, like, I just think we're focusing so much energy on the wrong stuff. Like you don't need us history as much as like, I think about how I learned it like every single year in school. And then in college, I had to take all these classes and I'm just like, I don't ask me when the declaration of independence was written. I have no idea. My husband (laughs) can tell you and he laughs at me, but I'm just like, that was not the highest use of my brain friends. Was it 1776? I'm just going to guess that. I think you're right. I think you are. It's so funny. I feel like whenever I'm teaching my son stuff, I'm like, wow, I'm like relearning this again. Like I vaguely remember this, but like in, you know, decades of my life, it has never proved to be useful like whatsoever. Yeah. It's funny you say that because like back in the day, like when when we were kids, there would be those TV shows where like a fifth grader would go against an adult in a trivia contest. And usually yeah. the fi- fifth grade would always win. <laughs> Looking back at it now, I totally get why. Like as adults, we're not learning jack squat anymore. We're just working our asses off. We're just trying to- That's a lie. You have a podcast. You're learning so much right now and you're teaching <laughs> so many people. <laughs> you're just not absolutely. learning about the, like, the capitals of the <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we're not learning about what's the capital of Montana. seventy-six or whatever. Yeah, so- <laughs> like these these kids have all this information fresh in their mind for us we learned that stuff like 20 30 years ago obviously we're not going to remember it so i just want to say if they ever make a show like that again I want to like I have a few choice words. I have a few choice words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing about that is that all they're demonstrating is uh, memorization and regurgitation, not yeah. actually integration. And that is something. So the college I went to uh, for my nutrition degree was learn by doing was the motto. That is like my life motto. I swear I could have never went to school anywhere else because that is exactly how I am. And when you learn by doing things, you actually integrate things. And this is where it's like they ditched home ec and they're like, we don't need home ec how many people don't know how to cook? Like they have no idea how to cook. And I'm sure like when you were getting, you know, your degree in nutrition as well, like you had to take classes on knowing how to cook. Does the average no. doctor, no, you did it? Oh my gosh. No. I, I had and you got your master's. Too. I never, <laughs> I love this. there was like a lab where we studied. The only thing I remember is like, we baked cookies, some with almond flour and some cookies. with coconut flour. And what oh, food science the texture experiment. Of yeah. Yeah. But, you're right. Like home ec, learning how to make a chicken, boil a chicken, make chicken soup, you know, these basic things that yeah. are so good for your health to help you understand how to create a plate for yourself that's healthy without having yeah. to buy something from outside just whip something up in two seconds. Like such an important thing in life. That's so crazy. Well, that's just so crazy. Cause I would, I just like assumed like everybody was getting a nutrition degree and like, 
I was doing, you know, the didactic courses alongside the nutrition science courses. Cause I was like, maybe I'll go be a dietitian, but I also really love like all of this research stuff. So like, I was just me and did too much. <laughs> it's really like, I just spent a lot of money on nutrition education. <laughs> um, but we, I had to do all these cooking glasses. Like I know how wow. to carve a duck because of that. I learned how <gasps> to make bone broth. We learned how to make eclairs. Like, yes, factual, ask any like French person, these are a health food. <laughs> Like, we learned to make so many things. And actually, it was so crazy because the professor, he's like who taught us. Like, we got to just really try, like, you know, fermented duck egg. Like, he'd bring out this stuff, or like, um, the, like, he would taught us about eating the masseter of the fish and like how it's such a delicacy. And so we would learn about all these other countries as well and the things that they ate. And because I was also um, about, like teaching the biology labs and doing dissection all the time, like I was like got really good at food dissection. My son, even now, so this gonna make some people squeamish, but he will ask me at restaurants like, "Will you please dissect out the masseter? Will you please dissect out the eye? Like I want to wow. eat these other parts." When I go with my friends places, like there's this O'Fall place in. Um, San Francisco. I don't know actually if it's still there post pandemic, um, but they bring out this pig's head and my friends are like, Jolene, dissect the whole thing up for us. Like we want to eat everything, get the brain, get like everything. And um, just in case anybody's wondering, uh, when you spend as much time in what we call dead lab as I did, which is where you're dissecting dead things, you are not into like eating when you're dissecting. Like uh, at least I'm not. I'm like, I feel like cherry formalin smell is coming back to get me. Like, I just, Is that what happens? You dissect the pig and you're like, okay, I don't want this anymore. I'll get the Oh yeah, rice. no. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Yeah. I'm like, actually, I'm like, I'll, I'll get the scallops. Like I will get yeah. something else, but like, I will cut it all up for them. But like just the act of like going back into that, I'm like, no, but yeah. anyhow, it's so interesting that you didn't take those classes. Wow. Cause I like, I have to say that I criticize a lot of doctors that I'm like the, these same doctors, this is what really gets me about like these doctors who are body shaming women with PCOS and who are like, Oh, well it's because you're so overweight that you caused your PCOS factually incorrect, like wrong, shut it down. These same doctors are like, have never stepped foot in a gym, have like never gone into the kitchen and actually like made themselves food, like actually cooked a meal. Like they don't have these skills and they're not even practicing what they preach. And they are out there like body shaming women and saying all these things as if they're experts in health. And they certainly have expertise, but like in the lifestyle and the nutrition arena, like this is where it's like, friends, get to a dietitian, get to a personal trainer, like get to somebody else because. Yeah. that doctor's only going to take you so far. And that to me, I, you know, in some ways, I'm like, we can unpack a lot with that feels like an internalized issue that they're dealing with and they haven't worked on. And then they just like project that onto their patients unfairly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a great point you made about doctors or like anyone who gives out informational health or mm -hmm. quote unquote expert advice without actually following that advice. Like mm -hmm. sometimes like my friend will be telling me like, oh, why are you taking fish oil? Why are you taking multivitamin? It's all, you're just pissing it all out in your pee. It's just expensive pee. I'm like, and I'm like, you're giving me advice. You, you're giving me advice. You're, you don't like, you don't do anything to manage your health. My guy friends would always do this. So you have just... a picture of health yourself. Yeah. And you have so much to say about a subject that you haven't done your own research on. Yeah. And then this kind of spreads so much information for PCOS women too. And then that's where your book comes in, where they're like, this, this, and this, is it normal? Or am mm -hmm. I the one that's crazy? Is something wrong with me? Yeah. And I mean, I, that is why your book fits so perfectly in every woman's life, honestly. And you digest like complicated mm -hmm. 
subjects into normal, understandable sentences that make it fun to read and learn about ourselves. And all of your books have this like common theme going through them of compassion and um, education. education and just simplifying complicated subjects that are intimidating. I'm just, I, I'm loving I'm being and funny, I'm, right? I'm yeah, funny, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So publishers, yeah, publishers Weekly like reviewed the book and I do, I have to say, like, I'm so grateful for the review and they were like, oh, it's, you know, it's a very inclusive, like they had all these positive things to say and they're like, and then, then there's like one line where they're like, and she's sometimes funny or sometimes humorous and I'm like, sometimes, sometimes. I'm hilarious. Always, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I see no, I they're see. true like there's some things that are not funny we shouldn't be making jokes sure, yeah. <laughs> but and sex I, is funny and it is yeah. awkward sometimes so like we have to giggle yeah we have to make it something that's normal to talk about not just like this you know stigma stigma yeah. I was gonna ask your books are behind you are there two yeah. different covers to your books Yes, I am like obsessed with both of these covers. Um, so one, the hot pink one is the US one. I was actually on an Instagram live and I was like, it kind of is giving that like, you know, punk pop princess kind of vibe. Yes. And I didn't get that before until I saw it next to the UK one. And the UK one, um, I they also just like nailed that cover, like straight out the gate. It's so beautiful. And everybody's like, which one is your favorite? I'm like, I, it's like having children where like they, they got the same insides going on, but they look different and you like love them both like so <laughs> much. Like, I mean, when the... um. So the US one is hardcover, it's embossed, it is beautiful. When I pulled it out of the box, I was like, oh my God, like this is so gorgeous. And when the UK one showed up, I was like, oh my God, like, and it's a, it's a paperback. They're starting paperback in the UK. And it was also just like a moment of like, this is so gorgeous, but it's very funny because, um, and anyone listening, you can go find the the real and, and vote on it on um, Instagram as well. But to see people in the UK who are big mad because they want the US one, they like the way it looks better. And then people in the US are like, how do I get the UK one? Because that looks better. And I want the one that looks better. And I'm like, guys, it's got the same yeah. stuff in it. Like, <laughs> but just to see how people are just like, um, so drawn to one thing. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting because the US one, people are like, it's fierce, it's unapologetic. I'm like, yes, it is. And I think it fits the current climate very, very well. Um, and the other one, they're like, it just feels so much more soft and inviting. And I'm like, it's so interesting that like, whatever the energy you speak, seek, like that's the cover you uh, gravitate towards. And you're going to get both of those vibes in the book. I think it's going to yeah. happen for you. I mean, if I had to vote, I mean, I'll put my vote in right now. I would vote yeah, do for the, the UK based one because I, I can see it looks like a woman's. Yeah, it's a vulva. God, see that. No, but I, I'm saying, no, I like the creativity and like I like how, you know, you, yeah, you use creative. that creativity for the book title. Oh, sorry, the cover. And yeah, I think it's, that's my favorite. What's yours? I think so too. That's really creative to make that. It should be like a logo too. I like it a lot. The O on the Is This Normal is where the other hidden vulva is. Oh, um, yes. So, and it's very, it's like much more subtle. Um, I think the intention was like to make it okay for Walmart and Target. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It's not so, I thought the UK one is like also passable, but it's very yeah. funny because I was um, speaking at a conference there last year and my slide deck, like I was talking about biohacking the menstrual cycle and talking about different things that it can affect your hormones. And it was so funny because I had like sex toys on there and lube and like in 
in my slides and people were like, you're not familiar with the Brits, are you? Like, we're much more reserved than this. This year I'm going back and I'm talking about like your sexual, like your, your sex life across your cycle and your hormones and through your life cycle and like how to optimize all these periods of your time, not the period, but yeah, we'll talk about that too. And um, yeah, I'm like, but I don't know, I'm coming back. I feel like it's like even more in your face. And then they, I get this cover and I'm like, but that's just like straight up. I mean, that is like vulva, yeah. <laughs> like like labia majora, labia minora. Like they're missing the clitoris. I feel a little bit sad about that, but I also am like aesthetically for the vibe. I think like you know they had to do what they had to do, but I feel like yeah. I need bell bottoms. Like I need to get bell bottoms with them. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's yeah. so funny. They have it, their own era. Like the U.S. ones, like early two thousands, and then my husband he saw the uh, U.K. one, and he's like, I don't know. It's like the key party days. <laughs> <laughs> like like the seventies, like you're feeling the seventies. <laughs> and if people do want to buy the book, where should they go? Like today, if they can, if they can pre-order or get it now. So you can get the book anywhere books are sold. You can find it on Amazon at your local bookstore, and you can find it at Barnes and Noble. So you'll just uh, you know shop around whatever works for you in your area and support your local retailers. I will definitely shout them out. And then if you are in the UK, Australia, India other parts of the world the book is available as well you can check amazon you can check audible i read the audiobook so um you can hang out with me for like 15 hours <laughs> oh amazing I that's on that. audible yeah i love i love when authors actually read their book and i and i hate it when somebody else reads it just because you don't get the same like passion so i love that mm -hmm. you read your book Yes, it was. I it was very scary for me. I was always that kid in school who like had panic over having to round robin read out loud. I still shout out to every teacher. If I ever see you, I will definitely let you know how much you traumatized <laughs> me. Um, but I did it, and I'm so glad that I did because my last book, Beyond the Pill, I didn't read it. I didn't have a choice. Um. My publishers were like, we're going to go with a narrator. Like, we just want to turn this out really quick. And the narrator is a beautiful narrator, but like they read it like it was a theatrical performance. And so the <laughs> jokes did not land and it didn't sound anything like me. And it just felt, it felt bizarre to hear my own book. Like I tell a story about my vagina and like somebody it's coming out of someone else's mouth. And, like, <laughs> that feels bizarre. Um, so this one, I was like, yeah, when they gave me the option and all of my friends are like, you're crazy. Don't do it. It's so much work. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because I'm scared. And in our house, our family, we just have a saying like, you, you just do scary things. Like if you're scared, you just do it anyways. Um, and so I did, and I'm so glad I did. And for people who are audiobook people, you will get two parts where, um, you know, there's a whole scene with like when Harry met Sally and she fakes an orgasm and I had to say the yes, yes, yes in the right way. Like my producer was like, you cannot just read. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't know how to do it like they would in like those special kind of movies. And I don't <laughs> want to do it that way. She's like, we got to find a bridge here. I'm like, okay. Like, we've got <laughs> She's like, we're going to bridge those two worlds. It's going to be professional yet. Like you have to perform it. So there's funny parts like that, that like, I'm so glad that I got to experience and I get to be there with the reader on the journey. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I just want to hear where people are laughing because it was it was hard to get through at times because me and the producer would be like in tears, like having a moment. I'm like, did I write that? Because you can write it. But then when you say it out loud, you're like, I really said that. Like I said that I have to say it now. How long did the process take to, to do the voice recording? Was it like a multiple weeks or a couple days? Yeah, it was a couple of weeks. We went, um, we didn't go five days a week and it's about six hours. That's about all your voice can really hold up to do. Um, I do have to say, so 
for people who are into hormones, when you are around ovulation, your voice sounds it the best. And people like identify voices of women who are ovulating to be much more attractive. So they're like, cannot see them. They just listen to them. Um, and my, they had to get this scheduled and it was like right after Christmas. And I was like, please, please, please. Can we do it like this week when I knew I was ovulating? And they're like, this is the only time we can do it. And I was like, literally started my period that day. <sighs> Worst day for your voice. Like I like all the hormones drop. Vocal cords is not the same. But what I will say is that because the process like extended on, uh, you will see my, you will hear my voice improve. It will become more lovely as you go. Because I'll of my pay hormones. attention. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pay attention to that. <laughs> By the last so, chapter, you'll be like, oh, this is very, this is very different person talking. <laughs> yeah. And if people want to find you on socials, where can they find you on Instagram or TikTok? Because want, we want everyone to like find you and listen to your educational content if they haven't already. And, you know, get, get daily tips every day. At Dr. Jolene Brighton, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N is where you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And then you can go to my main website, drbrighton.com. And that is where you will find tons of health information and tips to support you. And when you get the book, I couldn't include the meal plan and recipe guide that was like I wanted was intended to go in the book, but the book is like huge. It is like twice the size of like health books that are out there and my editors were like you can't do it and I did it anyways by making a digital cookbook so when you get the book there's a url in there and you can go and get the digital cookbook four-week meal plan and you are eating along with your cycle every day of, of the four weeks love that's it that's amazing that's amazing well for our listeners we're going to put all the information in the description of this episode if you want to purchase the book or buy the audiobook you can definitely find it in the description and also you can find dr Joanne brighton's socials in the description of this episode too we highly recommend following her immediately after this episode and just keeping up with her daily thank you so much doctor for joining us we really always love having you on i feel like you're probably our most occurring podcast guest which is <laughs> or is that just because we we lose podcasts and then get to maybe, hang out again? maybe. <laughs> but whatever the case we always enjoy it every single time and you always bring so much amazing education to us and to all the people listening to this uh podcast so thank you so much yes, yes thank you so much yeah thank you so much for having me thanks for making time to do this again even though we lost we lost our first conversation but i do think you were right this one was even better. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.